It's a new year and a new chance for you to make a fresh start with your compliance. For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. This month's sponsor of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent, integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit this month's sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Evaluation of due diligence and clearing red flags. An important part of the job duties of any compliance practitioner is clearing of red flags, which might appear for a proposed third-party relationship during the due diligence process. It is mandatory that not, not only must all red flags be cleared, but there must be evidence of the decision-making process to show a, a regulator if one comes knocking. This issue was raised in several places in the 2020 update. The DOJ asked the following questions. How has the company considered and analyzed the compensation and incentive structures for third parties against compliance risks? Under real actions and consequences, the following questions were posed. Does the company track red flags that are identified from due diligence of third parties, and how are those red flags addressed? Does the company keep track of third parties that do not pass the company's due diligence or that are terminated, and does that does the company take steps to ensure that those third parties are not hired or rehired at a later date? One approach I heard came from two compliance practitioners from GE on their, about their third-party risk management system. Some of the factors GE considers when evaluating a third party include the business model. Do we need third parties to reach our customers or can we build the organization ourselves? in-house capabilities. Do we already have the organization in place to handle these capabilities? Overlap. Do we have a third party in the region or country that can handle our needs? Volume of business. How much business will this third party bring to the company? Compliance risk. Where's the third party located? How will they interact with government officials? Do they have the same commitment to compliance as General Electric? Regulatory environment. Is it simple or strict? What are the chances of regulatory violations? And in reputation, what is the third party's reputation in the market? GE then took this information and broke down the risks into low and high risk. A low risk received a limited review and analysis, while a high risk received an escalated review and analysis consisting of the following department reviews, compliance, legal, business leadership, and finance. But more than simply the level of review, GE also had risk score drivers that they developed. These were GE's risk score drivers and have been developed by that company over time through its internal analysis and process. Nevertheless, they are a useful way to think about third-party risks. What are some of these risk score drivers? 
country channel where the third party is located or well it sells into, experience of the third party with sales channel, type of third party involved, the commission rate, standard or non-standard. We'll uh, submit to or sell rather to government entities. Do any of the third party's principles work for a foreign government? Was a third party mandated by a customer or end user? Was the third party's contract duration? Is the third party involved in more than one project? What's the annual revenue with a third party? GE Compliance then took these risk scoring factors and put them into an evaluation matrix, which determined the amount of risk involved. And then the company would make a go, no go decision about whether to move forward. Another approach is to consider some of the following questions. How much is enough? Can your third party process be effectively managed and still be of sufficient value to the business unit decision makers who have ultimate responsibility over the third parties? How far down do you dig? How many tiers must you go down in managing your third parties? Should manage all direct counterparties in the sales chain and those considered high risk in the supply chain. But how do you manage those at, at a level below? And then finally, what did you learn? What did you learn from your due diligence? Did you ever sit back and think about that question? Is there any information from which red flags appear? And if so, then they must be cleared. If additional information or points of clarification are needed, now is the time to do so during the due diligence process, not after the contract is signed. Around third parties, consider what risks you face in both your sales chain and in your supply chain. If there is a key player several tiers down the line who creates or builds a compliance component or delivers a crucial service, you may want to put more management around that relationship from your compliance perspective. For anything below a tier two, you may be able to manage your risk through having your direct tier one counterparty take the lead in managing such compliance risks. But make sure that the expectation is communicated to your direct counterparty. So if the government comes knocking, you can show that not only did you contractually obligate the direct counterparty to do so, but you provided them both the tools and the training to do so. Finally, you will need to be able to show that the direct counterparty did so. So what document will you have of that? So what are today's three key takeaways? Well, as in all things compliance, there is no set formula for the clearing of red flags or even the evaluation of due diligence. It's not that you're simply not limited by your imagination. You have to work with the information you have. You have to work with the risk matrix of your company, and you have to work with the risk ranking of your potential third parties. So it really is specific to your organization, how you do business, where you do business, who you do business with, and who your customers are. Number two, when to say enough has been done. This is always a difficult question, uh, but you have to be prepared to answer it. And finally, and once again, you must document, document, document your evaluation of any red flags. I cannot emphasize this enough, as you know, because I've said it so many times, but you must have evidence of your decision-making process recorded for review. If I could ask you to do so, would you pass on to at least one person this podcast series on the nuts and bolts of compliance as I'm trying to expand my audience base for 31 days to a more effective compliance program. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow where I take up another topic in innovation and compliance. Thanks again for listening. 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.